one tiny village of Gaul stand up to the Roman invaders? Not one Gaul. Not one Gaul named Paul. He will not stand. One Gaul named Asterix. That that was the exact quotation of Asterix, the Gaul. Brought to you by Edition Abarane. Read by me. Do it again in your best radio voice. <laughs> Get right up in there, my boy. Boy, what boy? Just I'm just channeling it. Alright, 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 alright. <laughs> I've forgotten it. It was 50 AD. All of Gaul was occupied. All, not all, one tiny village remains. Pathetic. <laughs> <laughs> Hi, this is Kale Ward. This is Jessica Burton. This is the part where I would do something funny if I had it in my body. Parody, parody, rabbity. I tried. I think I got confused between a Harry Potter uh, children's tale, that's a tale within the book, and uh, bed knobs and broomsticks. There's also some bibbity bobbity boo in there. Bibbity bobbity boo. Yeah. Welcome to Gun Global. Wow. Gun Global is a podcast where we are a married couple and we talk about what it's like being a married couple. But the trick is we're a married couple from different countries. Mm -hmm. So we talk about what that's like and the, the various things that either of us have missed out on. We have got to find a more succinct way to describe that. Mm. We will, I guess. Yeah. Hey, did you learn anything this week? Tough, isn't it? <laughs> did I? Well, we weren't exactly. I mean, we were planning to record, but our recording days are never really uh, set in stone. So, I'm going to give it a hard no, actually. Wow. Well, I actually learned lots of things. I have been doing lots of reading because we're about to have an exciting thing happen in our lives that we're about to welcome a dog into our lives. Oh, yeah. So I did a lot of reading about training dogs and looking after them and bringing them home for the first time. So I learned a whole lot. About training a dog. What is your number three tip for training a dog? Number three. Number three. Feel free, I mean, feel free to list one and two if you like, but I'm really looking for number three. I mean, I'm not going to lie. We haven't done it yet. Yeah. So I don't know if any of this works. So I know it all in theory, right. but I know he's going to arrive and uh-huh. there's going to be chaos. Right. So I don't know. I guess embrace the chaos. That's number three? That's number three. Number one would be to just be patient and love him. What's number two? Uh, be ready to clean up poop. Yeah, all right. That's not, that's not that bad of a list, actually. I guess, I guess my attitude toward your number three was exactly what it should have been. 
I was like, oh, that's number three. But then number one was like, oh, yeah, all right, that's good. Yeah. And then number two was like, oh, yeah. <laughs> and then number three was like, actually, you know what? Yeah, that is pretty yeah. good. I was kind of joking, but I stand by it. Yeah. I think no, that, that was, was, that's a that good was pretty list. good. Um, no, I didn't learn anything. I'm not going to sit here and pretend I did. <laughs> I've actively, no. No, I didn't learn anything. <laughs> I didn't learn anything. Listeners, you should have seen his face when the thought crossed his mind that he could have learned something, and then it disappeared again. Disappeared. So it's uh, Jess's choice this week, mm-hmm. and we argued back and forth for a really long time about whether whether or not that would be history or uh, literature or uh, anything else, and we... I guess since it's your choice, we sort of landed in the middle, or you landed in the middle. Yeah, I told you. (laughs) Yeah, that's right. Which is how most things go around here. Yep, pretty much. Uh, Do you want to tell what our topic is this week? So today, we're going to talk about legendary figures within sort of a literature sphere. Less hidden figures? Uh, referencing no. the movie that yeah 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 that was a great movie was it yeah I, was I gonna, really enjoyed it I'm gonna make a crack about how nobody saw it but I think it actually was pretty yeah it was really successful pretty I well think su- received at least one of the actresses won a, some big awards for it there you go I it va- was an excellent movie I vaguely learned that mm. um, so we're gonna talk about sort of legendary figures that have transcended their own sort of legend um so Mm. there isn't and these legends may or may not have really existed now i have a take on this please tell us but it's not quite that okay and i think i think specifically it's not that because uh the united states the, the united states is such a young yeah country so most of the figures in that description mm-hmm. are pretty flat did or didn't exist yeah. do you want to know what year my sort of research begins for this topic five 41 so that's only 1000 Seven hundred and thirty years before your country existed. Let's see, and I'm I'm talking in like the eighteen thirties. I think. All right, so. all right. You want to get right into it then? And yeah, your topic. You go first. All right. So, as you probably can tell from my description, I'm going to talk about King Arthur today. He exists. No, it's not sure. I thought they proved it in like 2011. I don't know. I don't think so. Because, and you're, you're about to hear, but the literature is so odd and from odd different sources that there's no way to be sure. Mm. Because he could have been a multitude of different things, as we're about to hear. Um, so the legend of King Arthur is an interesting one, like I said, as it has endured for centuries. And now the, there's not much deviation from the legend, like, mm. most people will know at least something about it, whether it's Knights of the Round Table, whether it's Guinevere and Lancelot, whether it's Morgana and Mordred. We're the Knights of the Round Table. We dance whenever <laughs> we're able. 
<laughs> I knew that was going to come up. Clark Gable. <laughs> um, or whether it's Merlin and the, the kind of magical aspect. But the, there is no way to tell if the man behind the myth actually existed, like I've just said. Um, so I'm going to talk a bit about how the legend itself was constructed rather than the, the stories themselves. Because I do think most people know vaguely what it's about mm. or some parts of it. Um, but most of these people who've created this legend have just sort of pieced together things anyway. Um, so some historians would suggest that Arthur first appeared as a Roman-affiliated military leader, so not necessarily a king. Or um, even British. Nope. Um, who staved off Saxon invasion during the 5th century. Um, however, Arthur doesn't appear in Celtic monk Gildas's writings about the invasion. He just doesn't feature in it. Celtic monk? Monk. His name was Gildas. Gildas. And he was yeah. a Celtic Celtic monk. Yes, and he, he wrote about the invasion, but the name Arthur does not appear in that. Right. So already the supposed origins are a little bit in question. Um, but in the 6th century, so this is 500 and something, um, and just, just as a quick aside, the Romans occupied Britain from 41 to 411 AD. Um, just as a little. So it it may have been that Arthur sort of appeared after the Saxon invasion, after Romans had officially left, but he might have been... It says Roman affiliated, so he may have been British. He just might have been put there by the Romans as right. as a sort of leader to take over from them. Right, right. Again, all very... Very issuesome. So then in the 6th century, uh, the name Arthur, the, a hero named Arthur, does appear in the Welsh collection of and poems. And a hero came along. And this collection of poems was called the, uh, I'm going to have a terrible time pronouncing all of these things, the Goddodin. The Goddodin. Goddodin. Um, by a poet named Anaeron. A, val oh. a valiant hero named Arthur is also mentioned by another poet around the same time. So this is when multiple people are mentioning him. That it's coming up that there was this great hero named Arthur. Um, but this... So... I've written all this down in a very good order, but it's so confusing that it's really difficult. Okay. Um... So there has been even been some suggestion that these two poems, the author that was mentioned in them is actually a reference to a Celtic bear deity, which is called Arthur. A Celtic bear deity. Yes. And the bear is called Arthur? Yes. So not actually a man at all, but a giant bear god. Well, I don't know if he's giant. Bears are pretty big, though. Do you know what? I like that. I like that version. Yeah, right? You know what? That... I'm going to start imagining the Arthur myth that way. That he's just a bear. He's just a bear? Yeah, why not? That's why That's why he couldn't love Guinevere. Because mm. he's a bear. Yeah, just just a bear. How can you expect a bear to king? Well, he's a 
Well, he's a god. Mm. True. Um, <laughs> anyway, but I mean, that could also mean that this hero was named after the bird deity. And they say a hero could be a bear deity <laughs> after all. Yeah, yeah. Could be. You never know. Um, but it wasn't until the 800s that he became a more well-known heroic figure when he appeared in the history of Britons. Sorry, this was the 1800s. No, this is the 800s. Good grief. So we are still far back here. Your country is so old. It's so old and yours is so young teenager. I'm trying to keep track of all this. Yeah, I mean, this isn't even BC. AD. This is all AD. Yeah. But there's a whole BC too. Um, But, um, so yeah, in the 800s, a guy came Nennius guy called Nennius published... This guy's a real Nennius. He published something called The History of the Britons. And this tale tells of 12 great battles that Arthur won. Except they all happened roughly around the same time in different locations. So it would have been impossible for one man to be at them all. Not great bear deity mm. Arthur. <laughs> so this is probably where some of the the supernatural stuff starts to come in. Oh, the wizard, yeah. Yeah. Ah, the wizard is coming in another ah, 300 years. The wizard, he's coming. Um so this comes in 80 oh, sorry, 1139 um when Geoffrey of Monmouth <laughs> writes the Historia Regum Britannae. And that if you have a vague grasp of Latin, I think is a history of British kings. So now we're getting into the fact that he is a king. Mm. Um, And he dedicated several chapters of this book to Arthur's victories and was the first work to bring Arthur and the wizard Merlin together. Um, Though Monmouth insisted the book was based on an ancient history book written in a language only he and a few others could understand... Most believe that this book was entirely fabricated and it wasn't very historical at all. Um, They're just jealous. Oh yeah, maybe. But with the inclusion of Merlin, this gave rise to a new genre of using literature for political prophecy. So kings and political figures actually started using literature to prophesize what was going to happen with future kings... And things like this. So this really started it, which is probably a big part of why the legend is endured, because political figures were using it to their possible advantage. Interesting. Mm-hmm. So we're still way back. This is still 1139. Um, then we get the romantic version and where all the knights start getting added and the legend of the Holy Grail. So this comes in 1177 with a French poet by the name of Christian de Troyes, um, who sort of had heard these legends and sort of transposed them into different poems. They were big epic poems. And the poems had the names of the knights. So one of which was called Yvain, who was a, a 
I suppose, a knight of the round table. Um, and this book is heralded as the first step towards what we now know as a novel. Oh. So it was very fictionalized. It was very epic. Um, and then there was also the poem Lancelot, which brought in Lancelot and Guinevere into the Arthurian legend. Right. But every part of this story is a wild goose chase because so he brought in the kind of Lancelot Guinevere affair, um, but there's some speculation as to whether he actually finished Lancelot because he died while he was writing that poem and some think somebody else finished that ending for him. And maybe the romance wasn't supposed to be there, that the affair was there. So this great legend that we know of might not have even actually been intended. <laughs> so the poem was about Lancelot. Yes. And and the affair? Or was the affair the part that was potentially added? The affair was the part that was potentially added. The affair and the romance. Yes. Oh. Mm. Because... Like, it's always said that Lancelot was, like, the greatest of knights yeah. or whatever. And then all of a sudden he has an affair with Guinevere, mm. depending on, you know, your version. That's yeah. interesting. Yeah, right? Um, so it sort of continues like this, that people build on it, get new versions of things that they say is based on history, but the history itself is not concrete and it's just people writing about it mm. um so even like those first poems that he was in that might have been the burr they were all oral poems so the way they've been passed down or write, written after being passed down several times through voice may not be accurate it's a big old game of telephone exactly um so this kind of continues through the the 12th, 13th, and 14th centuries. Um, the first English-speaking kind of more novelization, so we've got the first steps towards a novel with these poems, but now we're getting this, the more prose novel-type things from um, Thomas Mallory's La Mort d'Arthur, which... Oh, yeah. That's the famous one. Yeah, that's the one. That's when yeah. everyone starts to know that one, and yeah. they think that that is the version of it. Yep. I mean, it is. Um, so. so, around the same time, there was renewed interest in Geoffrey of Monmouth's Historia, which, don't forget, that was in 1139. And Lamorte d'Arthur is... 15th century, so 300 years later. 14-something. Yes. Yeah. Um, and people are getting more and more interested in it, and then it becomes incorporated into official national history and mythology. So kings and queens and things start taking historia as true history. Huh. And they present it as such, they use the legend as inspiration, blah, blah, blah. Um, so... They're all getting interested in something that people think is actually all fabricated. Uh-huh. Um, so this kind of interest remained alive into the 17th century, um, but it was sort of confined to England at this point, even though the previous poems had mostly come from Welsh or French sources. So Christian de Troyes was French. Oh. But 
at that time, I mean, in 1066, um, what we now know as France was invaded England and it had a French king for a while. England so Fra- had a French king. Yes, so France oh. and England were very mixed at this time. Um, and so, so this was kind of confined to England now. Right. Okay. Um, and it was of, so this is from Britannica here, of merely antiquarian interest during the 18th century. But in the 18th century, again, it now starts to be a prominent literature figure. Mm. And there are hundreds of novels about Arthurian legend and various things added to it. Um, so we have notably Alfred Tennyson's is it Idols or Idols of the King? Uh, I, th- I think I've always heard Idols. Mm. Um, and then in the 20th century, we get more poems. Uh, an American novelist, Thomas Berger, wrote Arthur Rex in 1978. Um, the In England, T.H. White retold the stories in a series of novels called The Once and Future King, 1958. Hmm. His work was the basis for the Camelot musical, in 1960. And then we get even in the last, then obviously Monty Python and the Holy Grail in yeah. 1975, yeah. which is a more of a comedy take on the legend. I always assume that one was <laughs> That's the, the, real the most accurate yeah, one. Yeah. yeah. I mean, look at all of this. We never know. It might be. <laughs> That's true. That's very true. Um, horses hadn't been invented yet. Yeah. <laughs> And where we are now is that there, it is still a big money-making business. Mm. It's still a good series. There was the BBC TV series, which is how I really got into it. I really enjoyed Merlin. Called Merlin. Yeah. Um, so that obviously shifted the focus a little bit. There's the Sam Neill Merlin film. There was the Clive Owen film where he was Arthur. I think Charlie Hunnam has been Arthur in for all yes. fairly recent yeah. movies. Uh, Richard Gere was Lancelot yes. to Sean Connery's yes. Arthur. So yeah, so it's just um, an enduring. Mark Twain did an Arthur, uh, a King Arthur novel. Oh. Uh, a Connecticut Yankee in King Arthur's Court. Interesting. Yeah. That's where, um, it's like the inspiration for a kid in King Arthur's Court. You ever heard of that one? No, actually. It's uh, but you just reminded me of, of course, the greatest adaptation, Sword in the Stone. Sure. The Disney movie. Yeah, of course. That's a great one. The one I always watched as a kid was a uh, a version of a kid in King Arthur's court with Whoopi Goldberg. Oh. Where it was like, I mean, it was basically Whoopi Goldberg was. In King Arthur's court. And like that was. Oh, I thought you were going to say King Arthur. I was like, oh, no, I would no, no, watch no. the hell out of that. But that was the movie. <laughs> that was the film. All right. Whoopi Goldberg in King Arthur's court. So I I don't really have an answer as to why it has endured for literally what? Well, it, it, to 1,000 years? To me, <laughs> to me, it sounds like the the propaganda is the, the bigger. Yeah. driving force early on Mm -hmm. and then the poems and the the novellas and and then it just spreads from that yeah and i also sort of wonder if because it was 
like these big epic things were the first steps towards literature. Yeah. If that sort of people just kept using those themes to to build things. Because I don't know when the Canterbury Tales were. I want to say like 1200s. I would say 14. I'm going to Google it right now. Because like this is this is early early stuff. This isn't literature as we know it yet. Canterbury Tales were 1387. Ooh, closer to mine. Mm. Wait, originally published 1476. Oh, they were written between 1387 and 1400. Booyah. All right, all right. So much later than quite a lot of this. Yeah, boys got a literature degree. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, so I, I'm very interested in how long that has been been going on yeah how many monty python and the holy grail quotes do you think you know not as many as i should i betray my people how many do i think i know five Mm. all right solid number well done yeah there's probably more i could know Mm. so as I said before, in America, America is just not really old enough to yeah. have anything like that. Mm-hmm. Um, so a lot of our stuff on that level is either true or not. Okay. It's <clears throat> easier to find out the facts when you're not looking 800 years ago. Well, yeah, and, and people were writing stuff down and there was, mm-hmm. you know... It's it's recent enough that nothing has been super lost. Yeah. When I originally heard your your pitch for this topic, my my initial thought was uh, folk tales. Ooh. Like uh, we call them tall tales. Hmm. So my my initial thought was uh, Paul Bunyan, Pecos Bill. Ooh, I don't know any of these. Tell me, you're going to tell me about them. Uh, well, I'm not. Oh. Can you tell me about them at some point, though? Uh, probably not. Okay. No, I doubt it. Uh, there's a Disney film about them, though, that we may watch someday. All right. Um, okay. I could take that. Pegas Bill was the fastest shooter in the West. Hmm. He lassoed a tornado. Wow, that Pegas Bill, he lassoed a tornado. Um, he, Excellent. he would, he would never kill on Sundays. Of course. Uh, so what he would do instead was he would shoot off your trigger finger. Oh. Yeah. Great. Oh, you were going to say something else. Great guy. Uh, that's not the Disney version. Thank you very much. Uh, Paul Bunyan is the world's tallest lumberjack. At least that's how Disney portrays him in okay. like the old cartoons. Okay. There are other versions where he's the the world's best lumberjack. Mm. Um, he could be the best and the tallest. You never know. I mean, it ex- being taller probably helps. It it would explain why he would be the world's best for sure. Yeah. Uh, he had a giant blue ox named Babe, Babe the Blue Ox. <laughs> um, and he he ate the world's tallest stack of flapjacks, or something. Sounds more Canadian than American. He 
does have a cousin that I recently found out about. <laughs> of course he does. Um, I don't remember their <laughs> name, though. Amazing. Um, then there was John Henry, who was a, a railroad worker. He's a, a, an African-American who uh, was the fastest... Uh, the he, the fastest like hammer in the west or or something mm. he he could put in the spikes in one swing the spikes uh on the railroad oh okay so you've got the the beams that go across the the railroad tracks mm-hmm. he could nail them down with a sledgehammer in one shot and so his whole story is is that he he was challenged to a race by a man who made a machine that could do it supposedly faster than John Henry. Mm. And John Henry said, nah, son. And he beat the machine, but he died right after. Oh. Um, that apparently may have been true. Oh. Uh, but I only recently learned that. Interesting. I, instead of talking about all of that, I'm going to talk about Davy Crockett. Oh, excellent. Because I know that name, but I know nothing about it. Davy Crockett. Um, Is there a Disney movie about Davy Crockett too? There's a whole Disney miniseries. Oh. Um, because, um, so you know at Disneyland, the, the cowboy show. Yeah. Is Davy Crockett's. Oh, is that right? Oh. Yeah, 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 yeah. I was, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, I was going to save this at some point, but. Since we're here, yeah, here's a little clip of the the ballad of Davy Crockett from the mm. the miniseries called Davy Crockett. I think I have this on a Disney music album. Probably do. <laughs> yeah. This is Disney's greatest volume too, so yeah. Yeah, probably I probably do. have that. Walked single handed through the engine war till the creeks was whipped and the peace was in store. While he was handling this risky chore, made himself a legend forevermore. Davy there's actually a lot more truth in that song than there were uh, folk legends. Okay, so tell tell me about it. Uh, okay, so uh, Davy Crockett was Davy Davy Crockett. Uh, was born in Tennessee. He was born in a small cabin beside the Nolachucky River hmm. in Tennessee, which apparently was uh, part of North Carolina at the time. Oh. Uh, he did not care kill a bear when he was young. How did they say that in the song? A bar. A bar. Killed himself a bar when he was <laughs> young. Yeah, something like that. Uh, yeah, didn't do that. But one thing the song does get right, apparently, was that he he did fight really hard for Native American mm. rights. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, for all the good that did. But spent a lot of time in the government. Mm. He um, was in the House of Representatives for a long time. Okay. For for Tennessee specifically. Mm-hmm. And um, really did not like Martin Van Buren, apparently. Who's... Uh, he was, I'm going to say, like, the sixth president. Okay. Fourth. Fourth. Okay. Washington, Adams. Washington, Adams, Jefferson. Van Buren. Or Adams again. Anyway, didn't like Martin Van Buren because 
of Van Buren's big uh, anti-Native American mm. policies. Mm. Basically, he he promised that if Van Buren was elected, he would go to Texas. And there's a big uh, a big quote that you may you probably heard when we uh, saw Texas the musical. Mm. I told the people uh, this is from David Crockett, and uh, I, it was in the news in 1836. Newspapers published uh, this is from Wikipedia. 1836 newspapers published the now famous quotation attributed to Crockett upon his return to his home state. I told the people of my district that I would serve them as faithful as faithfully as I had done, but if not, they might go to hell, and I would go to Texas. So he did. All right. Can you? Could you? You've sort of jumped around a little bit. Can you give me like his his full bio, as it were? Because I still don't really know what he did. I mean. What he, there wasn't a, a lot of things that he did. Like I said, he was part of the House of Representatives in mm-hmm. early America. He tried to run against Andrew Jackson's nephew uh, in the General Assembly. Like, his public career wasn't huge. Mm. He sort of dodged the War of 1812. He doesn't get super famous really until he leaves for texas okay and basically well let me okay let me let me go here first um okay so he he gets famous uh during his time at the house of representatives kind of the big thing i i think is that he opposes andrew jackson's uh indian removal act hmm um, and he was the only member of the Tennessee delegation to vote against it. So much so that the Cherokee chief, John Ross, sent him a letter on uh, January 13th, 1831, ex- expressing his thanks for the vote. Mm. Um, and this is when he was uh, voted down. He was defeated in the election, in the next year's election, uh, by a guy called William Fitzgerald in... A narrative of the life of Davy Crockett. David Crockett says, I believed it was wicked un it was a wicked, unjust measure. I voted against this Indian bill, and my conscience yet tells me that I have a good, honest vote, and one that I believe will not make me ashamed in the day of judgment. Mm. So he it seems like he really did genuinely try hard to fight for these people, mm, mm-hmm. you know, as much as he could. And then when he he returned to Congress again in 1833, he tried to reintroduce some some other land measures, but it doesn't seem like they really went through. Mm. Um so he he wrote an autobiography, the a narrative of the life of David Crockett, mm-hmm. and went east to promote his book. Mm. And this was when he says his famous quote about uh, going to hell and he'll go to Texas. So basically in 1834, Martin Van Buren is elected and Davy Crockett says, well, I'm not going to have any part of that. So he goes, he does go to Texas. 
What does he do in Texas? Dies. Oh. <laughs> uh, much like a lot of people at this point in time, he um, he basically goes to Texas with thirty or so men, mm-hmm. and he they go to Nacogdoches, Texas first, which is like East Texas, mm. and I guess they hear about the Alamo. And they end up at the Alamo at Wikipedia says February 8th. Mm. And then the Mexican army invades on February 23rd. Okay. And it's a slaughter. Mm. You know know what happens at the Alamo, right? No, actually. Not fully. Yeah, everyone dies. Right. Both sides? No. No, it was handily a Texas-United States defeat. Mm. Um, The... The only reason America won Texas is because uh, Sam Houston, I can't remember if he was at the Alamo. I don't think he was. I think he he got sick just before it happened Mm. and he had to leave. Mm. But the only reason Texas won was because Sam Houston came across General Santa Anna under a tree and he had like a broken leg or something Mm. and he caught him and forced him to surrender Mm. and that's how America got Texas basically. The controversy with Davy Crockett here is that supposedly legend started going around that Davy Crockett killed something like 30 men with his knife or something Mm. and like took 30 men with him but that's been pretty widely disproven. Mm-hmm. Um, so the uh, and it's been disproven by like science. Like they dug up the bodies and looked at the public records, mm. and he was with other people who were executed, and there was no like you know they they fought at the Alamo, but when they lost, they were done. Yeah. And that was kind of a big thing. Everybody thought that he was a, a big Rambo hero that, mm. you know, took down a bunch of dudes with him. And it just wasn't true. Right. Um, but so... So it's interesting that in this sort of legend building that he wrote his own book. He wrote his own autobiography. Yeah. So he started that legend rolling already before he ever even went to the armor. I guess so. Yeah, but just interesting. I don't necessarily think any of that has to do with, like, the legends. I mean, it's a star, isn't it? It's when people read that. Because surely there weren't many autobiographies at this time. That could be true. Yeah, if the only... This is another, like, star in a whole genre thing again. If the only thing you have to read are the Bible and a narrative of the life of Davy Crockett, then I guess you pick, Mm -hmm. you know... it might also have been, after the Alamo, it might also have been republished and yeah. redone to That's hype true. up yeah. that legend. Because, um, I mean, he, he was, you know, as much a hero as, as Sam Houston and Stephen mm-hmm. F. Austin. Mm-hmm. And, like, he, he was a, a high up member of that of that crew. Mm. So, yeah, yeah that's very possible. I do have a Tennessee tall tale of Davy Crockett as retold by uh, S.E. Schlosser. Um, It's called Davy Crockett and the Frozen Dawn. Uh, And it goes like this. 
One winter, it was so cold that dawn froze solid. The sun got caught between two ice blocks, and the earth iced up so much that it couldn't turn. The first rays of sunlight froze halfway over the mountaintops. They looked like yellow icicles dripping toward the ground. Now Davy Crockett was headed home after a successful night hunting when the dawn froze up so solid. Being a smart man, he knew he had to do something quick or the earth was a goner. He had a freshly killed bear on his back, so he whipped it off, climbed right up on those rays of sunlight, and began beating the hot bear carcass across the ice blocks which were squashing the sun. Soon, a gush of hot oil burst out of the bear and it melted the ice. Davy gave the sun a good hard kick to get it started, and the sun's heat unfroze the earth and started it spinning again. So Davy lit his pipe on the sun, shouldered the bear, and slid himself down the sun rays before they melted and took a bit of sunrise home in his pocket. That's wild. But he goes from... It goes from just a politician, really. Yep. Whoa. And that's and that's kind of like that's the the weird sort of incongruousness about the life of Davy mm-hmm. Crockett that I I noticed is like even in like the Disney song, you know, it says he uh, was born on a mountaintop, mm. but he wasn't. He was mm. born by a river. Yeah. And you know, killed a bear when he was young. No, he didn't. (laughs) Bizarre. Yeah, yeah. Interesting. Um, Just yeah, this guy's whole life is wild, tall tales, but also that legend you just said—that's very, um, that's very godlike. Like that's like Maui who captured the sun. Yeah, very Herculean. The days, yeah. yeah, yeah. It's mad, and it's mad that. You know, the 1830s, 40s time was when America was trying to be enlightened and think about reason and democracy and be very, like, learned about things. Yeah. And then stuff like this comes out. Like, it's... Well... Because that's a kind of legend that's hundreds of years old. Mm-hmm. It's just very strange. But, like, this is... It's, as I was saying about, like, Paul Bunyan and Pecos Bill, like, those were all right around the same time. Mm. Here's a theory. This might be a bit far out there, but do you think the fact that we've just been talking about that America was so young and they needed legends and they needed heroes, that just regular old military people weren't enough? That these men, like the people in power at this time, traveled to England, traveled to France. They read, they probably read things like Arthurian legends and were like, we need some of those. So they used like, regular heroes and legendified them if you know what i mean i think there are i think there are are probably elements of that mm. but i think you get into people like annie oakley mm. who was a real person who yeah you know also a legend yeah did a lot of that stuff mm-hmm. or john henry like i was saying earlier mm. but i think a lot of it especially in like the case of paul bunyan or pecos bill or even davy crockett I think I think a lot of it is like big fish stories. Right. Oh, you think you chopped down a bunch of wood today? I saw a dude, he chopped down so much wood, he went home and ate a stack of pancakes. Ate a stack of pancakes twelve feet high. Yeah. Yeah. No, that was really, really interesting. Yeah. So Thank you. Yeah. 
you're welcome, I guess. Mm. No, I really enjoyed that. That's my, one of the few, I think, other than like Ben Franklin, one of the few like American figures who you can look at mostly and go, yeah, all right. Mm. And you can kind of get behind those mm. people, you know? Mm-hmm. Anyway, Ben Franklin's, I'm, I'm sure, has got his own tall tales. Mm. That dude was crazy. Was it the Benjamin Franklin Museum we went to in Philadelphia? In Philly, yeah. Yeah, and it was like all of his inventions and all yeah. his wild stuff. Yeah, that dude was crazy. Yeah, really interesting. Uh-huh. Okay, so in place of uh, spinning the wheel this week, we have a little announcement. And it's, I don't know, I guess it could be sad. No, it's not sad. Okay, it won't be sad. Don't be sad. We're going to take a little hiatus. Like we said earlier, we're getting a dog. And we want to take uh, take the proper time to, to train him and you know, get him used to, to these moments when we need to record. And that's going to be hard enough with the, mm-hmm. the comics pals in general, for yeah. sure. But And he's also a puppy. We didn't say that. So he's he's going to need a lot yeah, of attention. he'll be a puppy. So we are going to take a little hiatus. And in the meantime, we're going to come back. We're going to try and retool a little bit and see, uh, see how we can take the time to improve and, and make things... Make things go a little smoother. Find find the 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 will and the desire and the motivation to come at this with energy every week. Yeah, and we you probably already see in this too, but sometimes we miss recordings and we feel really bad. But we just don't have the time a lot of the time, and we're we're pretty busy. But we we want to make sure we do this and do this properly. For you guys, our lovely listeners. But never fear, we will be back. We will think of it as a season two of Gone Global. This is our 30th episode, which is a pretty good place to stop at a season one finale. Davy Crockett. Come back, find out if she really did kill him. She did. She did. It'll just be me on season two. Spoilers. Eric. Ha ha, she can never get rid of me. I edit the podcast. That is true. That <laughs> is true. Uh, do you want to tell the people where they can find us? In the meantime, if you want to go through our back catalog and see what else we've talked about, you can find all that on anchor.fm slash gone global, or you can leave us a voicemail message about uh, any of the cool tall tales that you know about. Uh, be they of famous people or not, we'd love to hear about it. And anything else you want to tell us, you can uh, find us on Twitter at Gone Global Pod, and you can email us at GoneGlobalPod at gmail.com for dang all anything you want to talk about. Uh, we, we'll listen to you. We might even read it on the show if you're good enough. Uh, be good enough. All right. We will see you after the break. Davy Crockett. Yeah, I bet you Davy Crockett remembers uh, that the lady loves milk tray. Probably does. He's probably very generous and given ladies milk trays, unlike some people. I know him. That sounds apocryphal. What? Apocryphal. Ooh, what's that mean? That is uh, a word about a story that 
is not necessarily true. Ah, in, so in, perfect to sum up this episode. In reference to the Apocrypha, which are books of the Bible that aren't necessarily canon. Oh, interesting. Mm, don't forget to lay your love's mom train. Bye.